Snippet Sports Science Podcast is brought to you by EliteForm.com. Welcome to Snippet Sports Science Podcast. This is Jared Comstar, today with Chris Gavilio. How are you, Chris? Good, thanks, Jared. Yourself? Pretty well. Today we're looking at the article, The Effects of Detraining on Power Athletes, by Hordo Baggi and colleagues from North Carolina. So let's jump straight into this article, Chris. What were your initial thoughts going into it? This study for me is is quite a good one in that as a strength and conditioning coach, we obviously have those periods of time where we're trying to taper our athletes and I in particular work with a lot of power athletes. We've spoken a bit about the concept of fiber overshoot, which I'm really interested in, but this just goes into about the, the points about detraining on power athletes. So in other words, how much downtime you can give to an athlete prior to a competition and confidently know that they're not gonna lose any of their important power and strength characteristics required for their sport. Yeah, so previous literature has seen that there's both neuromuscular and hormonal effects from detraining, although likely one to two sessions per week can result in a maintenance of those variables, especially if eccentric training is included. However, the previous literature hasn't really looked at what happens with highly trained athletes, because they're much more sensitive to that type of detraining. Definitely. For example, Eastern European para-athletes would often discontinue intensive training before a transition to the next intensive training period, such that 10 to 20 day transition periods have been noted to have an impact on neuromuscular performance. Right. So whether it's a tactic where you detrain a little bit over a, over a tapering or, or peaking period, or if you can't train due to a injury or travel, detraining does happen quite frequently. Yeah, definitely. And what they talk about is the concerns that they have is about, you know, what happens to possibly hypertrophied muscle fibers, especially type 2 fibers, atrophy, and also a cause and decline in muscle strength. Because as we go into traditional literature, uh, strength is an underlying pillar of power. It relates to performance parameters. Right. And although they believe that there may be some compensatory hormonal effects to overcome those detraining effects, we're not sure if that's sufficient to maintain performance. Definitely. So what was the purpose of this study? So the purpose of the study was to just look at a bunch of different performance and physiological measures in highly trained power athletes to see what effect the day training would have on them. So Chris, what type of subjects did they recruit for this paper? Yeah, there were 12 strength trained men, five Caucasian and seven African American. So four were powerlifters and eight were former division one American football players. They participated in weightlifting for approximately eight years, and on average they'd exercise between three to four times per week, on average for about an hour and a half per session. Traditionally, they would have performed exercises at an intensity of 70 to 100% of maximal weights for five to seven primary upper and lower body exercises, including bench press, shoulder press, power snatch, clean and jerk, back squat, leg press, and calf raises. When you look at this, type of strength training they've traditionally done really fits well with what we would normally give a power athlete in the gym. And if you're familiar with powerlifting and, and division one football, you know, these are big, strong, young guys. They're about 24, 25 years old and about 90 kilo. And they don't list the, their lifting numbers in the method section there, but I know it's, it's later in the paper here. Right. So at the beginning of the study, these athletes were benching on average 134 kilo and squatting on average 192 kilos. So quite strong. And looking at their body mass, probably 1.4 plus times body weight in the bench press and double squat on, yep. on some athletes. Yeah, quite strong. 
one thing I, I found a little bit entertaining in their method section is they screen them for steroid use for six months prior to the study. Yes. When they've been lifting for eight years. Yeah. So you can imagine it's, it's hard to find very strong athletes. Definitely. And the design of the study, Jared? So prior to the training period, they've been doing their typical training. So they were very well trained ahead of time. So we know that they were already trained and the intervention itself would be the detraining. Before the detraining period, on the first day, they completed a vertical jump and knee extension strength tests. On the second day, they performed a bench press and squat one repetition maximum test. And on the third day, they took blood and muscle biopsy. They then completed 14 days of complete exercise cessation. So absolutely no training whatsoever during that 14 day period. On the 15th day, they took another blood sample and muscle biopsy. And then 24 hours, they repeated the jumping and knee extension tests. On the third day of testing, similar to the beginning, they did the bench press and squat one repetition maximum test. It would have been quite tough to do 14 days of no exercise. Yeah, for people who were accustomed for eight years of their life, they'd been trained as hard as possible. I imagine it, it would have been challenging to, actually maybe they would have been doing, you know, 14 days we get to play video games. Definitely. Yep, yep. But then it'd be, it, you imagine the, the dietary changes in those athletes. You take out 90-minute training session and the, they might be eating a, a bit more chips and Possibly. A bit of relaxation, yeah. Definitely. They also used abdominal circumference as a estimate for their body composition. So they take that abdominal girth and they put into an equation to determine what is their likely percent body fat, which for males is probably fairly representative of percent body fat. Definitely. And the strength tests, they covered four different areas. Firstly, they looked at EMG on the bellies of the vastus lateralis and the biceps femoris muscles. They used a dynamometer to measure maximal isometric, concentric, and eccentric knee extension and flexion strength testing. They used the free weights, as Jared said earlier in the methods, looking at a 1RM bench press and a squat. And the fourth area of strength testing was vertical jump, where they covered three different trial types of a squat jump, counter movement jump, and a drop jump. The drop jump was taken from a 60 centimeter higher platform. They were all performed on a force plate. In the blood tests, they looked at Plasma levels of cortisol, growth hormone, and testosterone. From the blood test, they determined cortisol, growth hormone, testosterone, and creatine kinase. And then from the muscle biopsy, they were able to determine fiber types, type 1, 2A, and 2. Good study. Yeah, great, great design, amazing subjects. It's incredible they were able to pull these athletes out for, for two weeks of their typically very intense training and be able to get them to actually detrain. We'll learn a lot from this. So what they find in the body mass, body fat, and free weight strength, Chris? Starting from basic anthropometric measurements, they had no change in body mass, which was really interesting. Right. And with, with estimated fat percentage, just a non-significant increase of 2.6%. Their free weights, so the, the results we're more interested in, their bench press decreased by 1.7%. And their squat 0.9%, both were insignificant. Right. So they were looking at numbers of 134 down to about 131 kilos in the bench, and their squat went from 192 to 190. And I know personally myself to be able to hold a squat of that kind of weight for 14 days and not training is quite good because just being used to having that much load on their back as well. Yes. Yeah. I, I imagine going with that warm up, it, it's quite a it's quite a feeling putting. 190 kilos back on your back after not having any weight on you for a long time. Definitely. Then moving on to the isokinetic results, 
Possibly the big thing that we really saw here was that the decrease in eccentric speed in the uh, knee extension and flexion test. All right, so it looks like there are almost no changes in the knee flexion or extension concentric at all. There was only changes in the knee extension eccentric force. So only that quadriceps eccentric force seems to have been decreased by the detraining period. Yeah, and in the figures as well, it says knee flexion decreased, but not significant. And even though there's the one where the uh, the detraining is just a little bit higher than the trained one on a couple of those points. Yeah, that's right. Not significantly. And then, and then moving on to more applicable performance markers, so changing in jump performance. This, this was actually really interesting because when you look at the table, it says counter movement jump, they actually had an a improvement of 2.3%. In the squat jump, they said they improved by 3.6%. But when you actually look at the results, their pre went to 52.1 and then decreased to 50.2, which if you think about and do your maths, that's a negative percentage we, change. We think we found a typo here. And as well in the report in the abstract, it reports an overall 1.2% increase in general jumping performance. But we don't see anything representing that number in any of the actual specific jumping performances. The closest thing that we can find is there's an increase in 1.2 centimeters in the counter movement jump, but that's not a percent change. I wonder also whether jumps akimbo or could they use their arm? Didn't actually state. It didn't state in the, in the methodology of their testing. Anyway, back to the results. Their drop jump actually had an improvement in height, a 4.8% improvement from 52.6 to 55.1. 5% increase there, which I find really interesting because they've got this decrease in the eccentric knee extension force, but then an increase in the drop jump performance. Definitely. And I was, I was just seeing that same thought as you were saying that. Then. Right. Yeah. yeah. I don't I, I don't know where that comes from. So then what about the fiber type changes, Chris? What do they see there? So looking at fiber type, and if you look at just the percentage contribution, there was a slight non-significant absolute increase in slow twitch fibers from 49.5 to 50.9 percent uh, fast twitch a a slight decrease in 0.9 and in fast twitch b type fibers had no change at all uh, in the area both had a slight decrease with only fast twitch significant in the decrement yeah and so then also just looking at the emg activity which is the least applicable so we're probably least interested in but it's always good to mention we see the largest decrease in that EMG activity at the very fast eccentric portion. So that sort of reflects the differences that we saw in the eccentric force production. There is also less eccentric muscle activation. Onto the hormones. This was, for me, interesting. Yes. There were significant pre to post detraining increases in growth hormone, testosterone, and the testosterone to cortisol ratio, whereas cortisol levels decrease. Also, CK enzyme levels decreased significantly and the relative plasma volume increased by 2.2%. The thing that's really interesting here is that all the hormones were significantly altered and quite large alteration. So we see that this detraining period has been a very large hormonal stimulus on these athletes who probably have not detrained much in their life. Definitely. Yeah. So it looks like they found it overall very recovering. So large decrease in cortisol, large increases in testosterone and growth hormone, and then further reflecting the T to C ratio, the largest change that we see in there. And with the hormones, we're going to bring in some other papers we've spoken about 
about the role of testosterone as a marker in motivation, determination, self-selection and loads. So possibly this may actually be a marker that was representative of being in a rested state yeah. and consequently being more motivated to try harder when yeah. they went to test. Much higher training readiness, which is what you would expect after two weeks of not training. I'm sure these athletes felt very ready to be training again. And it'd be interesting if you actually looked at their historical training data, how long they've been training for and, and possibly were they overdue for a period of rest? Right. Well, that, that's what I would expect from this is that they had been training quite hard before the deep. A question you asked earlier was just about how they're able to retain their strength. So whether it was the hormones as a, a marker of that determination and so forth, whereas they've actually stated here, strength retention has been association with the phenomenal muscle memory. So possibly because they have such a long training history, that they just knew what to do and the time to get underneath the bar you know when you get a group of well-trained athletes trained together there's a really good group feel to that training environment and they might actually spur each other on irrespective of you know that they haven't actually touched a heavy weight in ages they're feeling fresh they're feeling good group dynamics so the social social supporting group dynamics really enhances good hormonal response definitely especially in sports where domination is very important and when you have a appropriate environment where the athletes are allowed to present dominance challenges to each other that they can sort of take the piss out of each other a bit and rile each other up a little bit and be competing on each of their lifts i think it creates a very conducive hormonal environment for quality lifts. interestingly also yeah we spoke about group dynamics and the role of hormones in performance they actually noted here that the subjects commented after their training that they were unmotivated lazy sluggish yet were surprised to be able to repeat the pre-detraining free weight and jumping performance. So that was interesting that they've actually commented that there, but was that prior to the start of the session? And what would have been interesting to dig a little deeper, did those comments of how they appeared psychologically change throughout the testing session? Yeah, that's a good point. If they've been recording those victims throughout the session, I'm sure that as they approach that 1RM, they would have drastically increased those feelings of training. Any other points? in the discussion that you think is worthwhile drawing out for this podcast? Well, I think one thing that's important of note is when you look at these quality of athletes, it gets reflected into the quality of the tests. So in a lot of sports science literature, you look at untrained subjects and they do a one repetition maximum. And whenever I look at those papers, I always think that subject does not know how to do a one repetition maximum. They, they have no idea how to achieve their actual maximum potential. Whereas these athletes would be able to do that as the types of athletes who do. So in terms of academic rigor, it actually yields more academic rigor in terms of this types of science for those tests when you have those subjects. I think it would be a really interesting environment, like we were talking about with the differences in social dynamics, by combining those powerlifters and football players into the same study. I think they're... Be, if they were allowed to interact a bit, I think it'd be quite interesting to see the engagement between powerlifters and football players, what they would learn from each other. Definitely. And just talking about the fast twitch fiber contribution or the percentage, looking at the results here, there was no change of 1.9%. You know, indicatively, if you had athletes who may have had a slightly higher percentage change, how those results may have possibly affected the results as well. So if you had some, some real fast twitch fiber athletes, would they lose it a bit more? So knowing your athlete and knowing how they respond. So traditionally, powerlifters grind the weight out. Footballers, although they are strong and powerful, 
you know, I've worked a lot in rugby union and traditionally we find that they're pretty strong, they're pretty fast, they're pretty fit. Traditionally, they're not exceptionally fast, fit and strong. You get the occasional rugby player who is, but, you know, overall as a summary. So it'd be interesting if you started to actually delve a bit deeper into pure fast twitch fiber type athletes, how that may change it again. They may have different implications again for this result where we see 14 days of detraining, but if you're more of a contribution of a type two type fiber athlete, you may lose it a bit more. Yeah, makes sense. So in summary, Joe? In summary, I think it's a great study. They took some really quality measures, incredible subjects, and they pulled out some really good findings from this. Makes you think about things a little differently, possibly, with tapering and periodizing athletes. Oh, I've always believed in tapering and, and detraining. <laughs> I've actually, people uh, people ask me, they're like, oh, I can't train for two weeks. I'm like, look, mate, you'll probably come back stronger. The way most people train that actually care about their training, they're probably in enough of a recovery hole that two weeks of bit of detraining, and often I think people actually come back stronger. Yeah, and traditionally I would actually keep athletes lifting up to their competition, even a couple of days out, however, at a much reduced volume. Yeah, high intensity, greatly reduced volume. And this makes me think, do, this makes me think, could I get away with a little bit less for some athletes, possibly? I believe so. Food for thought. Thanks for your time, Chris. Yeah, thank you, Jared. This has been Snippet Sports Science Podcast. Please visit our website at Snippet Science. Subscribe, like stuff, comment, send us emails. Please be and get enjoy the engagement. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>